This episode of Fearless Rebel Radio is brought to you by You On Fire. You On Fire is the amazing 12-week online group coaching program that I run where we build up your worth from the ground up so that it's no longer hinging on the way that you look. It's got personalized coaching from me and incredible community support plus lifetime access. Get details on what's included in this program and sign up to be notified when doors open for the next cycle by going to summerinandin.com forward slash you on fire. I would love to have you in that program and in that group. This is Fearless Rebel Radio, a podcast about body positivity, self-worth, anti-dieting, and feminism. I am your host, Summer Inanin, a professionally trained coach specializing in body image, self-worth, and confidence, and the best-selling author of Body Image Remix. If you're ready to break free of societal standards and stop living behind the number on your scale, then you have come to the right place. Welcome to the show. This is episode 140, and this is another installment of Classic Rebel Radio, where we revisit an episode from the past while I'm on maternity leave. Today, we are revisiting the interview I did with Chris Sandel, nutritionist, on the physiology of the restrict binge cycle, the fallacy of weight control and dieting, and how to learn to trust your body again. And I'll be answering a listener question on how to find balance between eating what you want and health during pregnancy. You can find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode at summerinandin.com forward slash 140. In case you haven't heard, I'm on maternity leave until spring 2019. So the episodes that are airing right now originally aired in the first two seasons of the podcast. They are some of your favorites, and I hope you enjoy re-listening to them or hearing them for the first time. Before we begin, I want to give a shout out to fan number 11111. It is not enough to say that summer has changed my life and our podcasts are a large part of that. The insight and the downloads and the support is spectacular. If there is something that you think you want to work on, there's a podcast or a document for that. If you are not sure what to do, then she helps with that. I love the podcasts where she interviews people and the solo ones are wonderful too. Thank you so much for that awesome review. I really, really appreciate it. You can leave a review by heading to iTunes, searching for Fearless Rebel Radio, then click ratings and reviews and click to leave a review or give it a rating. It helps others to find the show and... Contribute to the revolution to end diet culture. Hello, that's really important. And so does subscribing. So if you haven't, just hit that little subscribe button via iTunes or whatever platform you use to listen to the show. Definitely do that. It helps a lot. And lastly, you can get the free 10-day body confidence makeover at summerinandin.com forward slash freebies with 10 steps to take right now to feel better in your body. The listener question that I am answering today comes from Genevieve. She says, so many questions, but for the sake of time, I'll stick with one. I know you're expecting congrats, by the way. I'm expecting two, and the little one is kicking away as I type. Awesome. My question is, how do you find the balance during pregnancy? For example, I'd love to eat nothing but ice cream, but I also know it's important to eat more nutritiously because that in turn nourishes the little one. Also, what do you suggest for exercise? Finding motivation is difficult under optimal circumstances, so during pregnancy, I feel it's quite the feat. However, as far as I know, it's also beneficial to the baby and later in labor to stay active. How do you slash we balance health and pregnancy? This is such a good question. Balance is a loaded word. And this is something that Chris and I actually talk about in this episode, which is why I wanted to include this question, because it's not even just related to pregnancy, but I think in general, we're all kind of striving for like balance or moderation. But that is often code for something we need to control and something we need like to have over the course of a week. So for example, I'm looking for balance, meaning I only want to eat like X number of desserts in a week and eat, you know, all these other kind of more like nutritious foods this percentage of the time. And really, we're setting a rule and we're setting boundaries around how we're going to eat. And so I encourage you, if you're thinking about balance or the word moderation in that way, to then eliminate them from your vocabulary. And really, if we if we want to talk about balance, we have to learn that our body is always trying to balance us out. Our body aims for homeostasis. So our body likes to have some sense of balance, but we can't force that. And when we start to fight against it is when we run into problems. And so your your body is really wise during pregnancy. And there may be a reason you only want ice cream. So some questions I would ask are, are you nourishing yourself with enough food? Are you getting enough carbohydrates? Are you incorporating dairy because we need extra calcium during pregnancy? 
And this could be your body's way of saying, hey, I need more food or I need more carbohydrates or I need some more like dairy to to get some calcium. And it may just be coming through as ice cream, which if you're viewing that as like a quote unquote bad food or a food that you shouldn't be eating, then it's going to feel like there's something wrong with you. So food is just food and our body is sending us signals and we can just look at that and think, okay, what is it that maybe this signal is telling me? Because it's not always about the individual food we want. It's sometimes about what that food represents. And I know for me, like I ate so much in the first trimester, which is really counter to what they tell you you should be doing. But that was just what my body needed. And I was eating all the time. I was waking up at three in the morning to have a snack because I was starving. And that kind of shifted for me in the second and third trimester. But everyone's experience with it is totally different. So I think that it's important anytime, but in pregnancy, especially to not go in with any preconceived notions about how you should be eating. As I said, our body can give us signals. So maybe the ice cream just represents that you need more food in general or more carbohydrates, or maybe you just want ice cream, which is totally fine too. There's nothing wrong with eating a lot of ice cream. You're going to be okay. (laughs) Your baby's going to be okay. But definitely check out the podcast I did on hunger and fullness for more on kind of understanding what our hunger signals mean. Because if we were working together, I would probably suggest eating more carbohydrates to see if that. I don't want to say like alleviates that desire because it makes it sound like the desire for the ice cream is wrong. But just if that makes you feel more nourished and maybe you think about ice cream a little bit less, not that there's anything wrong with thinking about ice cream, but if it's, it sounds like it's more of like a sense of urgency and I need ice cream. And so it may just be telling you that you need more food in general and make sure that you're giving yourself full permission to eat the ice cream when you want to eat it because mental restriction is going to keep us fixated on food. That hunger and fullness podcast that I'm referring to is episode number 120. So you can check that out. And lastly, if you're concerned about nutrients, then consider adding foods versus removing them. So for example, maybe add some fruit to your ice cream or eat a meal and have ice cream with it. So it doesn't have to be either or. I think we get all wrapped up in like, oh, I shouldn't eat this. I need to eat this. Uh, And if you're really concerned about nutrients, which are important when you're pregnant, for sure, think about adding instead of taking away foods. That's always a good strategy, pregnant or not pregnant. It's going to keep you full and satisfied while not depriving yourself. As it relates to movement, I wouldn't get too stressed about it. I think that you can do really gentle stuff and that's going to be beneficial. So just going for some walks, doing some stretching, maybe checking out if there's a prenatal yoga class in your neighborhood. You don't have to be doing intense stuff to really get the benefit. I think that the reason why you want some movement when you're pregnant is it helps with the blood flow to the placenta. And definitely it can help with labor in terms of, you know, stretching your muscles, having mobility uh, and having some strength there. But you don't have to be hardcore. Listen to your body. I think that's the most important thing. You know, my my job, I'm really fortunate. I was able to kind of, you know, scale back a bit, take some naps. If you're working a more traditional nine to five job, I think that that would be really hard being pregnant. And, I, and I'm not sure I would have been able to really handle it. And I certainly wouldn't have had the energy to do any kind of movement on top of that. So really go gentle on yourself. Your body needs a lot of rest. It's building a human. And just do what you feel like you can do and stop when you feel like that's it. Uh, it's, you know, parts of your body are going to get really sore, your feet, your back. And I think that we can do more harm than good when we push ourselves beyond what feels comfortable, especially when pregnant. You may not notice any damage while you're doing it, but it can happen postpartum. Again, I recommend the book, The Fourth Trimester, which I've mentioned in a previous podcast for more on that. And she actually has some good movements that you can do leading up to pregnancy, but even just some stretching can be super helpful. So Chris and I talk more about moderation and balance in this podcast, which I think will provide more context to this question for you. Thank you so much for asking it though, and enjoy re-listening to this episode with Chris. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of Fearless Rebel Radio. Today, I am interviewing a friend and colleague of mine, Chris Sandal. 
Chris is a nutritionist and runs his own company called Seven Health. He works with clients all over the world through private consultations. He also creates and runs online training programs. Chris is non-dogmatic in his approach and wants clients to find the healthiest way for them to live, whatever that may be. He helps clients improve not only their physical health, but also their mental and emotional health and has a specific interest in improving clients' relationship with food and body image issues. Chris is one of the health professionals that I truly respect and um, am, you know, very aligned with his point of view. So I'm really excited to have him on the show today. Welcome, Chris. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be on the call and to have a chat with you about this stuff. Yeah, because I think that in the world of, um, you know, disordered eating or women's relationships with food or even female hormonal issues and body image, you're one of the very few male health uh health professionals that that works with with that audience and I think it's so cool because you you actually really understand it um, even though you yourself uh, are a male <laughs> <laughs> yeah and when I I mean I originally studied nutrition and I went down the path that I have because they were the people who were showing up in my in my um, in my practice, and so to start with, when I finished up, a lot of people were suggesting I should go into sports nutrition. I have a background in doing triathlons and marathons, and just doing it for fun, not at any professional level. But everyone was like, "You should go and do that," and it it just didn't interest me that much, and so. I started out and just seeing who would show up in my practice and I started seeing lots of women who were coming to me who were wanting to lose weight and then I'd meet them in, in person and do the consultation. I'm looking at them thinking there, there is no weight to be lost for this person mm. and realizing that what this person was after isn't really nutrition or isn't nutrition in the traditional sense but actually starting to work on body image stuff and to understand what else is going on in their life and I just was getting more and more of those clients and just became really interested in, in, in it as a topic um, and researched it more and more and you know the same way the more you write about a particular topic the more of those kind of people find their way into your practice and it, it happened in that way and the same thing with I work a lot with fertility and it just naturally happened that I was seeing women who were having issues with fertility it was something I then started researching more on um, started writing more on and then more of those women would find their way into my practice um, but yeah trying to always put myself in their shoes and, and tr understand it from, from the woman's perspective. And I just think that's so brilliant because I know a lot of other uh, nutritionists or health coaches who, uh, if somebody comes to see them and uh, wants to lose weight, even though, as you, you know, uh, mentioned that your observation was that there was no weight to be lost, they will still manage it from a weight loss perspective and um, often push the person to into unhealthy behaviors. Uh, I personally experienced that um, multiple times on my, on my, you know, 20 year quest to quote unquote, lose the weight once and for all, which I never really had anything to lose. My body didn't want me to lose it. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, I had personal trainers and, and like other, you know, uh, professionals who were, telling me to take these different supplements or, you know, like cut out basically all carbohydrates when in reality, I just needed someone to look at me and say, you don't have to lose weight. Like that's not the issue. So I just, I just want to really applaud you for, for doing that because there's not enough people out there doing that. And I think, I mean, thank you for the applause, but I think part <laughs> of the reason I've done that was from my own experience. And I have the opposite experience to you in that I didn't want to lose weight. I'm someone who is small. Um, I'm like five, seven. I've always been pretty thin. I've 
put a little bit more weight on now, but by no means do I carry a lot of weight. I'm, I'm a very small, lean guy. And it really affected me in my late teens, in my early 20s, even through to, to my mid and late 20s. I was always someone who was very conscious in their body and wanted to be, um, quote unquote, very manly. So be able to put on lots of muscle and be rugged and grow a beard, all the things that I couldn't do. And I remember when I was... 23 24 i found the the body for life book or that program did you have you ever come across that do you know who it is i've heard i've i've certainly heard of it and i feel like i can picture the cover but i'm not familiar with the, the with the protocol yeah, it was a guy i think it's the person's Bill Phillips, he started up EAS or some big supplement company. But what it was was a 12-week program where you're doing weights, I think, six times a week, or you're doing weights three days a week, and then you're doing um, some form of cardio three days a week, and then you're eating in a specific way. And in the cover and on the back and the front, the, the book was filled with all these before and after photos of people who just went from being overweight and then being really ripped. And I got this book and I was like, look, this is going to happen to me. This is going to be the transformation I'm, I'm after. And in there, there was a small section on if you're not trying to lose weight, you're trying to go the other way, you need to be then ex- adding in all of this extra uh, food. And so for 12 weeks, I like followed the plan to the T and I was going to the gym. I was eating like so much food, like eating to the point of being like sick every meal and then looking at the clock and thinking, how the hell has three hours gone by? Why do I have to have another meal? Like so much eating. And I got to the end of that 12 weeks and I got on the scale and I'd lost a kilo and I was like I have no idea how this works I'm like I've eaten an inordinate amount of food like it just does not make sense that I can do this and I can and I lose weight yeah and I think from going through that experience and it happened multiple times where I'd go to the gym and I'd put in lots of work and I'd just eat and eat and eat and nothing happened to me and there was that realization of if this happens to me then it's going to be happening to people at all spectrums of the weight scale. Mm-hmm. And it's fine for me in the sense of I'm lucky because I conform to what society thinks is the right body shape or the right weight. But there's equally going to be someone who's 200 pounds, 300 pounds, 400 pounds, who's going through that exact same experience. And they're trying to probably lose weight and being just as frustrated. And so realizing that weight isn't so much within my control. Yeah, there's things I can do to influence it, but how much ultimate control I have over it, I began to really question. And I think going through that experience really helped to open my eyes about how um, likely weight loss should be or could be for people. Wow, that's such a good realization over uh, that period. That period of time, it took me like twenty years to figure that out. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm, I'm envious that it happened faster for you. Uh, no, maybe I'm maybe I'm speeding things up. It, it probably it probably took a while for it to really sink in. Like yeah. there's always that. Oh, maybe I didn't do something right or um, mm-hmm. there, or maybe if I changed the weight slightly, and if I I found some other weights program, it would make more of a difference. And so you. You, you a year later or a year and a half later I'd try something slightly different with the same hope but I guess with each time I tried it the 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 chance or the, at least the belief in my mind that it was going to be successful was was dwindling mm-hmm. and so did that uh, spur your interest in in health and nutrition is that how you got into the field that you're in today um, it was actually after that 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 all happened. So I got into health and nutrition. Um, I actually moved over to the UK. So I'm originally from Sydney, and I moved over to the UK uh, when I was in 21. I'd finished a business degree, so I went to university, did a business degree for three years, finished that, and was like, I have no idea what I want to do. So I thought I'd come over to to London, I'd travel around Europe, I'd do that for a couple of years, figure out my life and then go back to Australia and and do whatever I was supposed to do. And I moved over here and then moved in with a couple um, who I'd met a couple of times before and one of the the women in the couple um, was doing a detox within 
I don't know, maybe five or six weeks of me moving over to the UK. And at the time, I mean, I had really terrible skin, um, just very, very bad acne, which I was really self-conscious of. I'd been on antibiotics probably on and off for three years where I'd go on for three months, it'd go away, I'd stop it and it'd come back. And so I was really self-conscious of, of my skin. But I also had a terrible diet. Like I had the typical college um, student type diet where I'd be eating Burger King and KFC and kebabs and all of this stuff because I didn't put on weight. So I was like, I don't care. I can get away with eating this. So I, I was never conscious of eating that stuff in terms of, oh, I need to watch what I'm eating. Um, but I just hadn't ever made the connection between maybe it's the pretty crappy food that I'm eating on a constant basis, which is affecting my skin. Um, so yeah, I did a, a detox for four weeks and it had a real impact and really helped in terms of my skin improved. I had better energy. Um, I slept better and yeah, it then started for me to make that connection between what I'm eating and how it affects my body. And what I would add to that is most of the time I never recommend people do detoxes. Mm -hmm. Like I think they're some of the worst things that people can do, but normally because the person who's doing a detox is already restricting what they're eating, they already have lots of fears and phobias around their food right. and they're doing a detox with the idea of I'm going to lose weight or something along those lines. For me, what happened when I did a detox, it actually opened up my spectrum with eating. And so when I finished doing it, I had all of these extra foods that I'd never cooked before, that I would never eat before. And so it really broadened my, my cooking and my palate. So it worked in the opposite way to how it normally works with people where it just becomes more and more restrictive. Um, and so through doing that, I just started reading more about nutrition and reading um, different books and, and some blogs. I think it was still pretty early on in the blogging stage then um, and just found I was bringing up more up in conversation. And I there must have been some moment where I was like, hang on a second, this is what I've been searching for. Like this is something I'm very passionate about. It's easy for me to read and study because I really enjoy it. And so it was that stage that I decided to go back um, to college and study nutrition for, for three years. Oh, that's so great. Um, I love how you explained that the, the detox and added that caveat, because I do, I do think that that is the, the biggest problem is that you already have people with, a you know, a disordered frame of mind with food who go and a detox is like a, you know, this, a solution to, you know, helping them like themselves versus what it potentially can be in some regards when it's not, um, you know, like a super calorically restrictive, like juicing detox, like yeah. when you just eat, you know, like more vegetables and you cut out things like sugar, like that's, you know, when you, when you do do it from more of that perspective, if you go in with a, with a sane mindset and you're looking to, you know, just, you know, heal your liver and your digestive system, I think that, um, as in your case, it can actually yeah, and and the one that I did, it was basically doing a um, a vegan diet um, with no restrictions on how much you could eat. Mm -hmm. um, so still keeping oil pretty low, and there was a couple of other things you weren't allowed sugar, etc. But it wasn't cutting out that much. You could have most fruits and vegetables and different grains and, and whatnot. So it did allow me to be eating lots of different foods. And as I said, there was no restriction in terms of calories. You have this really weird sensation where I would eat an entire meal and there was absolutely no satisfaction whatsoever. Mm -hmm. So you'd be full, but there would be no um, enjoyment from that, from that food just because it was so different to how I was used to eating, mm -hmm. which again was then a great insight into what it must be like for a lot of people when they're trying to diet. Like it doesn't matter how many calories they eat. It's the most unsatisfying food when it's really bland. And so having to force someone to do that day in and day out, of course they're going to rebel. Yeah. And I was then always so happy. Like at the end of the four weeks, I, I couldn't have been happier um, to be able to go back and eat normal food again, uh, despite the fact that I'd noticed that it improved 
different uh, systems and functions within the body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk, I mean, you, you mentioned when you were talking about, uh, you know, when you did body for life and you realized weight wasn't in your control, let's talk a little bit about control. Um, I know in one post on your blog, you wrote the great irony is that the more we try and control our food, the less control that we feel we have over it. Uh, which I think was just, uh, such a great observation and such a, such a powerful statement that rings true, not only for just food, but I find just for our, our weight in general, which are clearly always connected, you know, we, we control food to control our weight. Um, but do you want to talk about that a little bit and elaborate on it? Yeah, sure. So in terms of control, I think there's a real fallacy about how much actual control we have at a conscious level around our food. And if I'm looking at that from a physiological perspective, we were built or we evolved over a time where food wasn't really abundant. So we have built-in mechanisms within the body to prevent us from starving. Because when food wasn't abundant, if you didn't eat and food wasn't around all the time, starvation was a likely outcome. And so the bodies wanted to prevent that from happening. And so what happens when you're under eating from a physiological perspective is that your body will start to make changes so that you start to eat more food. And that can be it starts to slow down metabolism, so you start to be using less. It starts to produce more of certain hormones that make you hungrier. And all of this is to drive you to then eat food again. So even if you feel like you have control over it, your control is pretty limited and the the deck is very much stacked against you from a physiological perspective. And this is in terms of deprivation, um, in terms of um, when you deprive yourself of food and you then get hungrier because you've deprived yourself of food, or it can also be deprivation that's likely to occur in the future. So the same way as there's, uh, from an evolutionary perspective, food wasn't always available. So you'd have some of the good months and then you'd have some of the bad months. And so if your body knew that in the winter months there wasn't going to be as much available, it would allow you to stockpile or stock up um, on your body in terms of fat or be able to eat more in um, preparation for the famine or the deprivation that was coming. So you can also have that same reaction where your body wants to eat more if it feels deprivation is just on the horizon or is going to come about. So again, if you're trying to control your food and your body is seeing that it's likely deprivation is going to come up, then it's going to want you to make, uh, want you to eat more. And this is really common with people who are about to go on a diet. So they're like, new diet starts Monday, and the preceding couple of days or the preceding week, they go to town on their eating. Mm -hmm. And it feels like, my God, this is totally out of my control. What's going on here? And that's very much because the body's um, trying to save you from the impending deprivation that you're about to um, bring upon yourself. Yeah, and I think usually these two circumstances are kind of bookended together because you have people who uh, are restricting and then eventually, you know, you hit a point where either you're done your 30 days or you're done your 21 days or you're, you're done seven days because you can't take it anymore. And so you, you know, your body is trying to get you back into a state of homeostasis. Like that's what it, you know, our bodies are meant to regulate our things in a pretty even keeled way. So if you're swinging the pendulum one way, it's going to throw you back the other. And so if, you know, you have that, you're more likely going to, um, binge in a lot of cases or just overfeed, uh, to compensate for that restriction. And then at the same time, you've got the, you know, the impending deprivation of the fact that you're usually telling yourself, well, I'm starting over again on Monday, or I'm starting over again after Thanksgiving. And so it's almost like a double, it's almost like a double whammy because you've got the mental and physical ramifications of the, of the past deprivation and the future deprivation happening at the same time. Yeah. And it's really important to differentiate between the the physical or physiological and the mental or mental emotional, because you can have situations where someone's eating 
a whole heap of food, but mentally they're not allowing themselves to eat that food. And so in a sense, if you're eating a lot of food, but in your head you're like, I shouldn't be eating this, what you're saying is that in a very short space of time, we're also going to be facing deprivation, i.e. we're going back on a diet, and that causes that situation to get worse, which is why I often see issues with people recovering from disordered eating and the focus being way too much on if you can just get yourself to eat like a normal person in adverted commas, that it's going to repair everything mm -hmm. as if the food is going to improve it. And eating does improve things from a physiological perspective. And if you look at things like um, the human starvation experiment and, and some of the results that it shows that, yes, just having more food come in can be repairing in and of itself. But if there's a lot of mental, emotional, and psychological things going on, it's not enough to repair it, and you need to be then looking at that um, separately um, while doing the other stuff. Absolutely. I think that that's such an important uh, distinction because I see that often uh, in, in women who, especially if they're trying to do this on their own. And so they, you know, they, they say, okay, I'm, I'm not going to diet anymore. I'm not going to restrict anymore. Um, and then they're really struggling still with, uh, you know, with, with, with quote unquote binge behavior. Uh, and there's always a level of, of judgment and guilt and rules that are still at play. And I think that's where um, intuitive eating can lead us astray as well, because uh, a lot of people, for a lot of people, intuitive eating is the gateway to uh, creating a healthier relationship with food. But at the same time, it can be a detriment because it, so a lot of people go into it interpreting it as rules like well yeah. if i'm eating when i'm not hungry i'm breaking a rule or i should be stopping when i'm full instead of taking away all the shoulds um taking away the rules taking away the judgment so how do you go about healing that you know that mental part or you know what would be you know some of the advice that you give to women to to heal that uh, emotional and mental piece of the puzzle well i guess for me it's realizing or explaining to them that food isn't the real issue like food is their tool um and that it's really used as a coping mechanism and that can be using food it can be using their weight all of these things are either coping mechanisms or a way of avoiding for certain other things that are going on in their life and getting them to understand that that's the the bigger issue and as much as we can then start to take away the food, we can then, or take away the, the restrictions around food, is not going to necessarily heal everything. It's then well, what's then going on underneath all of that stuff. And so just, I guess, the, the first step is starting to get someone to, to understand that and why they may be having issues around food and digging a little deeper than just assuming it's just because of weight or it's just because of the, the surface level response that most people give. Yeah, I think that that's so important because uh, um, if you don't actually uncover and peel back those layers of why this stuff manifested itself in the first place, it, uh, it becomes, so, uh, again, another thing that you're trying to control or another, yeah. and it doesn't, it doesn't become, it doesn't get to a point where you really, you know, food is just food and you enjoy it and you move on and sometimes you might overeat and sometimes you don't and your body just kind of is able to really sort itself out and you can trust it. Yeah, definitely. And, and getting someone to to yeah, trust food again and to trust their body again because I think that's one of the most difficult things is people feel like their their body is really out to get them or has done a disservice or has stabbed them in the back. And it really can be difficult to want to let go of those reins and to trust the body again because it, it there's that feeling of, but if I do this, the, the whole world is just going to explode. Like I'm going to blow up to the size of a house. Um, my body doesn't know what it's after or doesn't know what it should be doing. And, and there is often that leap of faith that someone needs to take where it's the, I'm not sure if I 100% believe this, but I'm going to have to just go after it mm -hmm. and I'm going to have to just try it out. And that's, it's a really difficult thing to get someone to do. And there really isn't, um, 
a way that I can say, if you just do this, this will happen. People have to come to that place uh, when they're ready. And it is often someone is just so fed up where they have tried everything and they're like, I don't have any other option but to relinquish control here because I'm just so sick and tired of all of this. Um, but there is, as I said, often that leap of faith that someone needs to make. Yeah, I, I it's it's such a hard, it's such a tricky place, and I always I always see women like who are who are coming into this this new territory with so much hesitation because it's exactly as you said they're so afraid that they're going to eat and never and never stop eating. And I think that that's what we're told. I mean, we are, we live in this culture where we are constantly told that we have no control. Every diet program is built on the premise that you can't control yourself and you need somebody else to tell you exactly what to do. Um, and that you can't trust your body. And so you're trying to (laughs) create a new belief in yourself that's been so ingrained and that is, you're surrounded by it. Like you turn on the television and especially this time of year, there's commercial after commercial after commercial about Um, you know, weight loss and like how much better your life will be if you can lose the weight. And so it's no wonder there's, it really takes, uh, you have to get to a point where you're like, I cannot do this anymore. Like I've spent how many years on the same pattern and I'm so done with it to really trust and um, take that leap, that leap of faith. So what's your experience been with that, with some of your clients in terms of them taking that leap of faith? Like, you know, I think it's helpful for some people to hear that it's generally everything's going to be okay. (laughs) What's been your experience with that? Yeah, look, it is generally that everything is going to be okay, but I don't want to paint it as this easy roses picture because it is tough. And I think with getting over this stuff, people have to be prepared to put in the work. And I know that sucks and it's not what people want to hear, um, but it is often some of the most difficult things someone will do uh, in their life. Mm-hmm. And so just knowing that it's not going to be the easiest thing, I think is better so that people have expectations because too often when people hear, oh, it's just easy, I just relinquish control and everything was magically better, there's then that expectation that that's what it's going to be like. And when it's not like that for people, they're like, well, I must be doing something wrong. Uh-huh. So getting people to understand that, look, it does take work and it does take effort, but it does get better. And as much as possible, trying to break through or bust people's fallacies or myths in terms of, okay, so you tell me that by losing weight, you're going to be happier. Like, let's find people around you or find people in this world who are thin and you tell me if they're much happier because of their weight. Like, let's look at celebrities in Hollywood who have the best bodies, who are staying married for three months. Like, does that really show you that they're so confident or that their relationships are going to be better? Um, Finding people who have amazing bodies who end up in rehab or all of these different things that start to poke um, apart some of the ideas about just getting thinner is going to magically um, change all these things in my life. And getting people, I do a lot of writing exercises with people and journaling with people and starting to yeah, tease apart some of the beliefs that people have and and show them, like, is that really true? Like, yes, someone can be thinner and happier, but it's no guarantee. Mm-hmm. And if you don't really have control of, about your weight and there's no guarantees that you're going to be able to lose the weight or lose the weight and actually keep it off, then maybe the more sensible option would be let's be okay with where you are now and see what happens, whatever that may be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you brought up two amazing points there. One is that like, yeah, painting a picture that this is easy. I think that that occurs because of uh, the diet mindset, you know, that you commit to something for 30 days and you're a whole new person. And, um, which, you know, (laughs) certainly you can make some really good traction over the course of a short period of time, but there's, it's, I mean, it took me years to get where I, where I am. Like it took me years to get to this point where I feel comfortable and I don't pick myself apart and I don't obsess about food. And, uh, you know, I still will have moments where I do because that's I'm human and that that's always that's been was my go-to cap, coping mechanism for years 
Um, the difference is I know how to sort through it now and I know how to see it for what it is, but I think it is really important to, um, one of the things that one of my coaches said to me that, that, uh, has always been a really powerful statement is to respect your pace in that, um, your experience is going to be different from, from somebody else's. And I think it's, I mean, it's probably one of the reasons why when you work with people, you're, you work with them for like six months. I mean, I work with them for three months or longer because it is such a, um, uh, it's there's a bit of a process involved and it's you know peeling back a layer and peeling back another layer and it takes it takes a lot of time I mean trust it's almost like a relationship right like when you meet yeah. somebody new it takes um you know people don't just get married right away or most people don't you know some people do <laughs> you get married to somebody after you've been in a relationship for a year or sometimes longer because you've taken that time to build up that trust and i think it's kind of like the same thing when we're learning to trust ourselves again it's like you're creating this new relationship with yourself where it takes a long time to build up that trust um the other really thing that you the amazing thing that you said was just challenging the fallacies and the beliefs that you have about about thinness and about what it means to have a certain body shape. Yeah. And, and also just about how easy that is to come by. Like, as I said, in my own experience, I am naturally thin. I do nothing that I have to work out to make that happen. Like, yes, I walk a lot cause I've got a dog and I eat healthy because I'm a nutritionist. But to be honest with you, I don't think that that stuff accounts for my weight. My weight's just where it is. Like I went on holiday, um, in the April time of this year and it was a all-inclusive holiday, so it was a buffet for breakfast and dinner, and then you could have whatever you wanted for lunch. And myself and my girlfriend, we went out there, and as as like a joke, we were like, let's see who can put on the most weight while we're here. And we went to town with eating. Like I was having a burger and then a pizza for lunch and then like having so much food. We came back and we weighed ourselves just before we left, and neither of us had put on any weight. Like it doesn't make sense um, in terms of if we're just looking at the, the standard calories in and calories out of of how most people think about this. Yeah, and so just realizing that, and for people to realize that that they just have so little control a lot of the time. And, and look, I know I'm at, at the one end of the spectrum where it doesn't affect me and and there's people who are a lot different on that spectrum where it affects them a lot more and their weight can go up and down um but i think just making that realization is really important Mm -hmm. yeah i'm at i'm at a different spot on that spectrum for sure (laughs) i mean i uh you know and but but here's what i'll say is that like when when um when i finally you know healed uh, my metabolism when, when I finally stopped, uh, you know, restricting both mental, mentally and, and physically and, um, you know, really worked on the whole, uh, self-improvement piece of the puzzle and the body image piece of the puzzle. Um, I'll go away for two weeks and I'll eat ice cream every day and I'll eat like way more than, I probably do when I'm, you know, just in my house working, uh, and, uh, I might gain a little bit of weight, but my body generally just kind of goes back to where it was about a week or two later. Um, because it's really good at just kind of keeping me within a certain range now. And so everyone's experience with that is different, but I think like our bodies are pretty good at, at just like holding us within, you know, kind of like the, the healthy range for, for us. Um, again, you know, everyone's story is different. Like results may vary, but, (laughs) but I think it is also, you know, it's important to realize that, um, when we really do, when we can trust, like it's, it's hard for me to overeat now. Like I can overeat. Sure. Like, yeah, I, like I could be a competitive eater. I've always said that, but like, (laughs) but like, I couldn't do that every day. Like at some point, like my body will just be like, no, like, like no, or like, you know, you like all I'll want is a salad, you know, like my body's really good at like regulating that now, but it took me a long time to, to build up that relationship with myself and trust it again. Yeah, I mean, from what you said there, in terms of just understanding from a, a metabolic um, perspective, and I work also with people for straight up normal nutrition, um, and 
I make no guarantees in terms of, of weight and I will never work with someone who wants to lose weight where that's their primary goal for working with me. I will always tell them up front that I don't guarantee any weight loss. Mm-hmm. But what I do guarantee when I'm working with people is they're able to eat a lot more when we finish up than when we started and their weight will still be steady doing that. Mm-hmm. And so people get to a stage where they're eating 3,000 calories a day and their weight isn't going up. And to be in that place is just so much better for someone. I mean, from a, from a health perspective, yes, because the more you can be taking in, the more your body is then able to use for energy. Um, but also someone then knows that they can get away with eating so much more and it, it then means that that's not a worry anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, okay, so that's the biggest thing is really overcoming the worry. You know, I yeah. think it's like, that's what we really want to get rid of is the worry. And so, um, let's, uh, let's t- uh, like kind of a, a segue into this other topic. I wanted to talk to you about a word that gets thrown around a lot is moderation. And this came up in my private Facebook community the other day and opened up some really good discussion. Um, someone posted an article on, you know, like, are you an abstainer or a moderator? And, you know, the, the article was really saying that like moderation they kind of defined it as like well you know you're able to just like have a few bites of pizza or you're able to just have like one bite of pizza and um I would love to sort of understand your perspective on moderation like you know is that a word that you use like what do you interpret that as uh what are your thoughts on that Okay. So yeah, moderation is a word that I use a lot with clients, but I would say that when I'm thinking about it is looking at moderation across the the bigger picture. So the idea that if you can sit down and eat just one bit of pizza is moderation, I don't know if I agree with that because I would say in that situation, if you're only hungry for a piece of pizza, then fine. If you're hungry for a whole pizza, why and you then eat a whole pizza, why is that not moderation as well? Mm-hmm. And one of the, the things I often say to clients is everything in moderation, even moderation. Like it's good to have splurges where you eat a lot or you drink a lot or you do things that don't fit into the the normal category of what you would consider a moderation because you'll then have the day after where you don't eat as much and that's not from a conscious perspective it's the you're just not as hungry Mm -hmm. and so I think of moderation more in the bigger picture of okay, the things that you want to be doing with your eating um, is you wanting to be having more fruits and vegetables or you wanting to be trying to get to bed at certain times or when you're approaching exercise, you're wanting to be doing it in a way where you're listening to your body, you're not doing it to extremes, etc. That's to me what moderation is. Yeah, I, yeah, and I think that um, I, I wholeheartedly agree, agree with that because, you know, moderation used to be this thing, like it used to be like this 80-20 rule, you know, in the world of paleo or in the world of a lot of nutrition professionals. And I think that, you know, as soon as you put a rule on something, like then it's never going to be possible. So it's the same way that I said, like, you know, I go on vacation, I'll eat ice cream every day, but then when I come back, like, I'm kind of repulsed by ice cream. Like, and I'm just like, yeah. I can't eat ice cream anymore. So my body kind of, you know, regulates itself, like moderates itself. Um, yeah. Sometimes will I still eat like almost a whole pizza? Yes, I will. But as you said, then like the next day, maybe I'm not as hungry. Maybe I am, but then maybe I move around more, you know, like, and so, yeah, I think that we have to be really careful with the interpretation of of moderation and that moderation is more about, um, trusting yourself and looking at like the whole picture as opposed to just like moderation over the course of a day or moderation over the course of a week. Yeah. So I normally, when I'm talking about moderation, I put it in with consistency. So consistency and moderation and, and really getting away from doing things that are extreme and normally extreme with expecting very quick results, whether that be very quick results from an exercise perspective or from a weight loss perspective or um, from a change to your health perspective. Like the idea that you can do something and four weeks later that everything is repaired, that's not moderation from my perspective. Moderation is, you know what, I would really like to improve my health. 
what would I like to see my health be like in a year's time or two years time or five years time and how can I approach it so I'm doing things because when you approach something in that manner it's much easier to then make small changes that you then keep up that then become part of your day-to-day life that you don't even think about they become habits whereas when you've got to do something where you're like I've only got six weeks to make this happen then you're much more likely to be going about uh, things in the extreme manner, but also doing things that you would never be able to keep up long term, that you wouldn't be able to be following that diet or that lifestyle in a year's time because you're like, if I have to do this for more than six weeks, I'm going to be burnt out. So moderation for me is if I had to think about doing this in a year's time, could I still keep it up? Mm -hmm. And the answer for most people, if they're doing it right, is yes. And what will happen is then in a month's time, they'll be able to add something more in. And then in a month's time from that, et cetera. And it might be at the end of that year, if they look back of where they were originally and where they are now, they're like, wow, I didn't think I'd be able to make all of these changes in a year or make all of these um, or keep up all of these changes. But if they've done it in a piecemeal fashion and doing it for the right reasons, then it's much easier for them to be able to keep it up. And yeah, as I said, that's moderation from my perspective. Yeah. And so do you think that, so there, you know, um, Gretchen Rubin has, is the one that's kind of, you know, wrote the book and class says that people are either like abstainers or moderators, meaning that like abstainer means you're something that, um, you can't stop yourself once you've started. Uh, and you know, if you're an abstainer, then there are some things that you actually have to abstain from versus if like you're a moderator, you, you know, you, you have to have like, what she calls like, quote unquote, you know, like the occasional indulgence, like, in your opinion, do you think that there are some people out there who have to abstain from like, certain foods? Or do you think it's possible? And not from a health perspective, not because it gives them, you know, like, raging diarrhea or something like that, but like, because yeah. they, but because like they, they, once they start, they can't stop. Like, what's your opinion? I'm, I'm curious as to what your opinion is on that. Um, to be honest, I don't like, there could possibly be people who just have to abstain and they can't, but my sense is if people do the work that they're able to get over that. Yeah. And I, I can't make a blanket comment because there, there'll probably be someone who's like, no, you don't understand my reaction to blah, blah, blah. So maybe, maybe I'm wrong on this, but a lot of those issues that people have around certain foods becomes uh, self-fulfilling prophecies. So it's the, I can't control myself around chocolate. And you tell yourself consistently, I can't control myself around chocolate. And then typically the only time someone eats chocolate is when they're in that like frenzy or when they haven't had something to eat for a long time and hunger's really built up and then they choose to eat some chocolate. And then the natural thing will happen. They'll overeat it, et cetera. And it then becomes this, well, see, I know I can't control myself around that food. Whereas I think if someone was able to um, change their beliefs around it and, and start to work out, okay, well, what is it about that food? And what is it about the instances that I choose to eat that food? Because I would imagine there will be times where if someone wants to try it out, eat a five-course meal and then try eating that food and see how much of it you eat. Like do it in a situation that's going to make it the least likely chance you're going to overeat on that food and see what happens. Mm -hmm. And then put yourself in slightly more difficult and more difficult circumstances where it becomes more likely that it happened. But yeah, as I say, I think that most people, if they can do some work around these things and understand why they're having issues around those particular foods, and if they do some digging, you can often sort of peel that apart and where, where it comes from, that, yeah, people can get past it. I yeah I, I wholeheartedly agree with with your response to that I'm sure you know I, I believe that the different things work for different people so as you said I'm sure there's somebody out there who maybe wholeheartedly that works for being an abstainer and and you know certainly um, I'm not one to say well that's not working if it is working for somebody <laughs> depending yeah. on what their definition of working is but um, you know if they're if they're happy they're healthy and and they're just like no there's this one thing I just cannot have around but um, I, uh, in my experience, um, most women come to me and they'll have certain trigger foods, whether it's like peanut butter or ice cream, uh, or Nutella, where they say to me, I can't keep that in my house. 
because if I have one bite, um, I won't be able to stop. And in my experience, we're generally able to overcome that and they get to the point where that food's in their house now and sometimes they forget about it and sometimes they eat it and sometimes they don't uh and I was the exact same way and I think it's like you said it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy like if you're constantly telling yourself I can't control myself around that food if I have one bite I won't be able to stop well what do you think is going to happen when you have that food so I, uh, I definitely don't, I used to think I was that type of person, like that abstainer, but really I just needed to get to like what was going on underneath the surface to become more empowered and understand my relation, that the issue was my relationship with food and these other issues that I had. And so, um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm happy that, uh, that, you know, you've, you've observed the same thing and that, and that, um, yeah, you feel the same way there and the other i mean the other way of going about it is have that particular food every day three meals a day until you get sick of it Mm -hmm. and as much as someone's like i'm never going to get sick of it, it's my favorite food after five days six days seven days of having that every single meal you're going to get pretty sick of that food it's going to lose its its impact over you and its power over you you're like if i have to eat this one more time um, and so that can be then the other way of someone getting over it. I know like Janine Roth has talked about that with certain foods. Uh, there was an interesting story about some mother who her kid wouldn't stop eating. I think it was M&Ms. And so the, the advice was get a pillowcase and fill the thing to the brim with M&Ms and just give it to your child. And the lady was like, you, you've got to be kidding me. There's no one going to do that. She's never going to stop eating. She's like, just trust me, just do it. And I think she rang the, the physician like three days later in a panic and like you you can't be serious like she's doing nothing but eating m&ms all the time and the lady person was like just keep filling the sack with m&ms <laughs> and by about day nine or day 10 the person was paying very little attention to it and i think like a month later they found it under their bed and they hadn't touched any of them yeah because yeah. The, it was the fear of i'm not going to be allowed to have this food at some point in the future and like going back to what we were talking about with deprivation, if you tell yourself, I'm not allowed this food because when I have this food, I can't control myself around it. And then you give yourself that food while eating that. What are you saying to yourself? You're saying to yourself, this is a bad food. I can't control myself. Tomorrow, this is going to be off the menu because if I have this around, I'm going to just eat it all the time. And that just says deprivation. And so you just get as much in, in that moment as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I do, I do have clients do that. Um, sometimes, you know, I'm just like, just, just eat it. Like, I'm like, eventually you won't want it. Trust me. And, um, you know, I've experienced that myself. Like, like I said, when I go on vacation, I'll eat ice cream every day. And by like day eight, I'm just like, oh, no, like I, no, I just don't want ice cream anymore, which is, yeah. you know, one of my favorite foods. So, oh, uh, like, if, I, <laughs> if I travel to the States, um, I love like burgers and milkshakes and all of that kind of food. But by about day three or day four, I'm like, can someone just give me like some vegetables? Yeah, give me some kale, yeah. (laughs) I I get home and I'm like, I just am so looking forward to plain home-cooked food. Yes, yeah. Yeah, um, exactly. and it's not because of willpower or because I put on weight or any of that. It's like I, I've just had enough of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my body just craves it. And that takes a while for some people. I know like some women that I've worked with, it'll take, you know, like eight months. And then suddenly they'll be like, I finally craved vegetable summer. And I'm just like, yes, <laughs> you know, we get there. Um, so everyone's everyone's kind of process through that is 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 different. Uh, so we're coming to a close here. But uh, as and as we always do at the end, the last question that I ask all of my guests is what is the most fearless thing you've done? The most fearless thing that I've done, or in other uh, words, the scariest thing that you've done. <laughs> What is the scariest thing that I've done? Um, I've done skydiving, so jumping out of a plane, maybe that would be that would be pretty pretty scary. I would never. Yeah, do it, it was. It, I, I, I feel like I'm. It's a bit of a cop out with me saying that, and the reason was I didn't find it particularly scary because you're just so high up. And so you have no perspective of what's beneath you. Everything looks like it's some tiny. Um, like make-believe world so once you jump out that there isn't that that fear but i'd say that's the that's the one that comes to mind first off 
Yeah, I would never do it. So I commend you for that. <laughs> well, it's been so great to to have you here. I love I love chatting with you. Where can people find more of you? So my website is seven health. So S E V E N hyphen health.com. Um, and as part of that, I um, write blog posts pretty much every week, sometimes a couple of times a week. I have a podcast as well that someone was on recently called real health radio, um, that you can find again through my website. Um, and then a, a Facebook page as well. Um, and I'm pretty active on my Facebook page. So I'm putting out different posts and articles a couple of times a day. Um, a lot of some, my stuff, but also lots of other people's, um, information and, and from a, a wide range. So looking at body image and, um, relationship with food stuff through to more straight up nutrition. Yes. And, uh, you often share my stuff. So I really appreciate that too. And it was awesome being on your podcast. So I will link to all of those things in the show notes for this episode. And thank you again so much. It was great. It was awesome chatting with you. And I know that, um, we'll probably have you back on again at some point in the future. Oh, perfect. Well, look, thank you so much for having me on the show. It's wonderful to chat with you as always. Thanks. Rock on. Cool. There is so much good stuff in this episode, which is why I wanted to re-air it. I hope you enjoyed listening to it again. You can find all the links mentioned at summerinandin.com forward slash 140. I'll be back again with another classic episode soon. Rock on. I'm Summer Inanin, and I want to thank you for listening today. You can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Summer Inanin. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this show. I would be so grateful. Until next time, rock on. Rock on.